Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is Matt Leiner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 310, coming to you on Wednesday, April 24th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football. Get ready for the NFL draft, which is this weekend, and so much more, including your listener questions. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address for podcast questions or for ad inquiries or for anything else is Reign of Troy at fanside.com. And our phone number, 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Mario Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Derito. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. Things are interesting right now around USC. Not only is the NFL draft going to come up this week, um, but things are kind of quiet. Things are kind of quiet here as we get into the offseason, which means... We at Rain of Troy are putting a little bit of a focus on Game of Thrones. Rod on God is back two episodes into the six-episode season for Game of Thrones. We're covering it over on Patreon. It's been a blast so far, and... Uh Big things coming in episode three, so now might be a good time to subscribe to our Patreon and listen to the episodes when they drop on Tuesdays. Yeah, those episodes are tons and tons of fun. It's just us, the two of us, and, and our buddy Jake from the What's Bruin show, talking Game of Thrones, getting deep into the episode... Throwing out our our theories and speculation about who's gonna die in the in the upcoming battles, it's it's a it's a blast as always. For the night is dark and full of terrors. 
It is indeed. It is dark and it is full of terrors. And we'll see what happens on Game of Thrones this weekend. Uh, and to listen to Ron and God, you can current subscribers can listen to him on Tuesdays. They drop on Tuesdays. For everybody else, if you're not a subscriber, you can listen to it on Friday. They become unlocked. And uh, you can go to patreon.com slash reign of Troy and find old episodes there as well. But it's not just Ron and God. At least you've been putting out second and short over on Patreon as well. Yeah, with no more practice car casts, filling up the, uh, filling up the airtime with second and short last week i did a deep dive into usc's depth chart coming out of spring camp uh so that was really fun and, and interesting to sort of get down and get down and dirty with uh with you know how the depth chart has has broken out uh following spring camp even though usc isn't releasing a, a you know an official one i have my unofficial one and i kind of go through each each position group and uh yeah pretty detailed there and and always fun to Get down into those details. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Red of Troy is where you can subscribe. You get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month or for 10 bucks. Not only do you get all of our bonus episodes, but you get to join our private Slack channel. We're talking about all things USC and Game of Thrones. We also have a Game of Thrones channel in there, too, if you want to talk about the GOT with us and uh, with our pals in the Rot Crew. So... Let's get on to this episode. A lot of news to discuss, including things like rule changes and Reggie Bush and a bunch of other stuff. We'll get up to that up next. So we have to start with some old news, old news as in from last week, Matt Fink entered the transfer portal literally the day that we dropped the episode. Uh, so it's been a while. It's been like literally a week since since Matt Fink has been in the transfer portal. I, I keep going back and forth about whether this was expected or not. On one hand, I'm not surprised. On the other, I'm actually really surprised. What, what say you? I'm I'm honestly pretty surprised. Um, one, because I thought the quarterback battle was pretty even coming out of spring camp, even though we continue to say, like, we still see JT Daniels as being the starter. But I felt that it was a lot more even than I expected it to. And so I wasn't expecting a quarterback transfer for that reason, because I thought, you know, when they get into the fall, this is going to be pretty even going in then. So guys are going to wait and see where they stand after a couple weeks of fall camp. Um, also, it being Matt Fink, like, for, I don't know, for some reason, I feel like at some point he said he wasn't even contri- considering a transfer, and he always seemed to me like a player who, when he came to USC, he would have understood where he was going to stand as far as his profile coming to USC and and being more of a of a filler quarterback even when he signed, so like... I almost assumed that he would just accept his lot in life if if being a starter wasn't it. But, you know, he obviously got to a point where he, he wanted to play. And I guess I understand that. But the, the timing of it is interesting to me because I was on the record. I, th- I thought he had a really good spring. And I personally um, would have would have looked at him as a potential starter if I were making the decision. So him making him deciding to jump into the transfer portal tells me that he was further away from that top spot than maybe I thought he could have or should have been. Yeah, I I would have to imagine, right? If it got to the point where he thought that looking elsewhere gave him that uh that that better opportunity. I I said last week that I'm at the point where the the, the way the system is 
that USC is going to run. I really don't care who the quarterback is. If it's Fink, if it's Daniels, if it's Sears, I really don't care. I, I think that the system is going to be tailor-made to work for whoever it ends up being. With Fink out of there, uh, it's now a two-horse race with Sears and Daniels, which will make things interesting come fall camp. But I, I, I don't know. It, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing about it, I'm, I'm kind of with you that ultimately, you know, whoever starts will start, and I don't really have a horse in this race. Um, but I, I think the most interesting thing about it, and I said this on the the snap take that I did when it when the news broke on Patreon. That I think this reveals a lot about where Graham Harrell's mindset is as far as making these decisions. Cause when I've explained my preference for Matt Fink, it's because I'm a risk averse person and I like the idea of the sort of Fink Sears style of quarterback, but I, I wasn't willing to go out on that limb to, to say that I would go with Sears cause I've seen too much of sort of good Sears, bad Sears and not having the consistency made me nervous about Sears. So, me being risk averse, I sort of settled on, well, Fink is a good in-betweener there. And the, what I have to assume, Fink being third in the pecking order coming out of spring tells me that Graham Harrell is not being risk averse or Graham Harrell is maybe putting more stock in what Jack Sears did at the end of, of camp when he was so good in those competitive per- periods when they really took the training wheels off and let them just go. That's when Jack Sears was at his best, and and that gives me some insight, I think, reading into it, of where Graham Harrell is is viewing this quarterback situation. And even if I'm with you that, like, what will come will come, at least it's kind of adding to the intrigue of how I understand Graham Harrell's thought process. Yeah, kind of. I get that, too. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that ends up being the case when we actually get to see a depth chart going into week one uh, when Fresno State comes around. Uh, All the luck in the world that we're going to send towards Matt Fink and uh, wish him the best wherever he ends up going. Uh, It'll be fun to keep tabs on him and his college career when it continues elsewhere, assuming that he ultimately does transfer. Uh, Besides just entering the transfer portal, he can take himself out, but we obviously won't hold our breath for that. Um, Moving on, let's talk about other new stuff, new rules. There are new rules coming to college football this year. It's been approved uh, this week. Let's start with the most interesting one, the one that got, I think, the most headlines. Changes to the college football overtime rules. Yes and no at the same time. The the rules are going to be changed for games that go to five overtimes. Alicia, five overtimes. How many in your life? How many times has SC played five overtimes? I don't think they have ever played five overtimes. It in is my zero. Life. It is absolutely zero. There have been eleven games since nineteen ninety six to go to five overtimes. Eleven since nineteen ninety six when the rules changed. So it's not going to affect that many games. But if games go to five overtimes, teams will start to alternate two-point conversions. So it essentially will be like penalty kicks from the three-yard line for two-point conversions. Yeah, I that okay, that's fine. I I don't think this is relevant. Like uh, like you said, how, how often are we actually going to see this in play? Once every two years, statistically. Maybe. Yeah. And and my thought is if you've played four overtimes and you're still tied, yeah. The game was that close that I don't if it ends up being decided on a penalty kick type thing with two point conversions, then whatever. I don't care. I, I forget what we did an episode a while back about like random college football rule changes that we'd make or whatever it was and I remember that I, I mentioned something about like how 
I wouldn't necessarily want it, but like how interesting would it be to see penalty kicks, like the penalty kick idea in college football in, in terms of like just set them up at the goal line and then get five chances and go back and forth. Like, so I don't think it'll be bad for, for the game the one time that it happens in the, in the next five years. Like, right. it'll be interesting. It won't, it won't nullify the results in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, if you want to make an interesting, put this at the third overtime, maybe. Yeah. M- maybe maybe then things would change. I, I, I like the idea of, in the sense of one thing I cannot stand is that the, the records counts and the, and the stats count um, for overtime games because you go and look at it, like, LSU allowed 74 points to Texas A&M. That but, drastically skewed their their points allowed yeah. on defense. Like, it drastically skews their numbers. Overtime, could they do overtime scoring like in soccer where you have, like, the end score and then in parentheses the score in overtime? Like, would that be too convoluted? Because I almost feel like that's the only fair way to do it. Because I agree with you. Like, a touchdown in overtime is not the same as giving up a touchdown in, in regulation. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little bit different. And, the, like, the yards, I guess, are just one thing. But, I don't know, it, it does skew things uh, a bit. If I was going to change overtime, by the way, I, I've come up with my method. Even though I'm pretty sure someone else has thought of this, too. I don't think it's overly original. Start the ball at the 50 in the first overtime. Make teams drive into field goal range. So that way there's actually some stakes here. I don't like that they're automatically in field goal range of the 25 right but move the ball up 10 yards every overtime so the first overtime's at the 50 the second overtime is at the 40 the third overtime's at the 30 the fourth overtime's at the 20 the fifth overtime is at the 10 and then from the fifth overtime on you just start at the 10 yard line i love it i love it yeah me too uh me too uh moving on though let's talk about targeting targeting rules have changed in two different ways the first way is that they can no longer stand. We know that when someone is is charged with a targeting penalty, uh, it gets reviewed. And then before it was confirmed, sta- it could stand or it could be overturned. Now it's just confirmed or overturned. Meaning this puts kind of the burden of proof on the referees, right? Like not the players. Like the referees have to be able to prove that it that the penalty actually happened. I love this. Love it. Make sure if you're going to have a game changing penalty like that, make sure that it actually happened rather than just having someone call it. And then you look at it and you're like, actually, I can't tell. So let's just we got to keep it stand at that point. Yeah. Positive affirmation that targeting happened um, is is it's going to help the rule. It's going to help the rule. Like I still have issues with with the way that targeting is, is sometimes interpreted. But at the very least, if it if it makes it as closer to fair as possible when it comes to determining targeting, like 100 percent targeting happened, then I'm I, I think maybe they'll get they'll get it right more often, which is all I'm looking for when it comes to targeting. Yeah, I, I don't know that it, it changes the Tago or Gustin targetings uh, that, that should have gone down in the SC Washington State game, but it, I think it's a step forward in the right direction. Uh, next one, uh, targeting now, if you get three of them in a season, you will face a one-game suspension. Uh, Alicia, this is essentially what, what already exists in soccer with yellow card suspensions, where like in the EPL, how many is it? If you get like, what, five, you get a one-game suspension? Yeah, after five, after five yellow cards, you get a one-game suspension. In like Champions League or the tournaments, if you... I think it's two in certain segments of the competition. 
you get a one game suspension. I actually like this because at that stage, if, if you've gotten three targeting penalties, then you are not adjusting the way you're playing the game to avoid them. Uh, so I think this is the proper way. Like, on, like, this is how I would do it rather than ejecting players from games straight up because you can have almost like incidental targeting that can result in, in, in an ejection. I would do it where maybe I'd have on your second targeting penalty, you get, you get kicked out and then also miss the next game. Um, but the three, three targeting penalties, I think you've sort of made your bed there. Yeah. Players will still be ejected for the game in which they targeted, uh, but they also could get a one game suspension if they accrue three. The other two rule changes uh, are blindside blocks are now called as penalties. And then there is an elimination of a two man wedge on kickoffs. At least I don't really care about the the kickoff wedge stuff. Uh, If that's going to help safety. Great. More power to everybody. The blindside blocks make me sad and I get it. I, you want to improve the, the, the game. Those things are incredibly dangerous, but there's nothing better than that crack block. Nothing better. Nothing gets a crowd more excited than Mike Williams coming around the edge. And here comes Matt Leiner and he just lays out a dude. No kidding. But it's I but I get why I get why I'm almost I'm almost surprised that it's taken them this long. Like I get it. But I'm I'm also with you. Like <laughs> those are great moments. And uh, it's going to suck to see flags fly as a result yeah but we definitely are pro brain health don't get us wrong sticking with the ncaa talk let's talk about a new scandal marty blazer a financial advisor turned government informant in the fbi college basketball probe testified about major college football infractions. This is from John Taylor of NBC Sports. Quote, as part of his testimony, Blazer alleged that between 2000 and 2014, he paid football players from, among others, Alabama, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State and Pitt. The payments, some of which were in thousands of dollars, were aimed at convincing a player to remain in college and not enter the NFL draft in hopes that they would retain him as their financial advisor when they did turn pro. Alicia, this is weird because it's the opposite of the Reggie Bush stuff. Yeah, it's the opposite of the Reggie Bush stuff in the middle of the Reggie Bush stuff. I I wrote an article on Ranitro.com talking about like the, the weird parallels that are going on here. Like, this the allegations that Blazer has there of of paying off players from 2000 to 2014. That's that's almost exactly the span of the Reggie Bush stuff. Obviously, it starts a little bit earlier, but like in that span, you have Reggie Bush and his family taking benefits. You have the NCAA investigating USC for those benefits. You have the NCAA instituting sanctions, and then you have the completion of said sanctions. At the end of the 2014 season, like the whole thing, the the whole time. And yeah, it's, you know, paying, paying players, families to, to convince them to stay in school where Reggie Bush was being convinced to leave USC early to go for the NFL. Like it's, it's just weird that as I wrote in, in, in the article that, that I wrote, the thing about it that's like frustrating. And I know that you're sick and tired of the NCAA stuff. And I'm certainly at a point where it's like, you just got to move on. Um, but no one's going to get punished for this. They're all outside of the uh, the statute of limitations, which for the NCAA is four years. Um, but I did want to highlight on on Rand and Troy how like when you read these kinds of things, when these things come out and then you turn around and read the stuff from Arash Markazi this weekend about Reggie Bush 
still being permanently or indefinitely disassociated from USC and the NCAA not budging on that in the slightest. Like, you just, there's, there's a, like, a cognitive dissonance for me that, like, I can't put those things together and understand why the NCAA is holding their ground on that while also seeing example after example after example after example of how, like, what Reggie Bush did was happening everywhere this entire time. The the piece from Arash in the LA Times was, was really good to really talk about Reggie Bush and, and kind of what it means for USC in the awkward situation, too, of... Reggie is now working for Fox in their rival, what will end up being their rival to college game day on Saturday mornings, their pregame show, which means he might actually need to go to a USC practice as a member of the media. How is he supposed to do that when he's not allowed on campus? Yeah, awkward, right? The N- So <laughs> the NCAA, Arash in that, in that article talked about how USC said, well, we'll work with the NCAA if that happens. The NCAA gave a no comment, which I think is really dumb because it's just like, okay, so you're going to no comment your way through this? Like, come on, address this situation. Just address it. Tell, just give us an answer at this point. Like, is Reggie Bush ever going to be allowed back? Say yes or no. Just say, you know what? It's going to be the Chris Webber thing and it's 10 years and after 10 years, then it's cool. Or just say no, permanent. Like one way or another, just put a ca- put a lid on this whole thing and let everybody move on. But instead, you get no comments from the NCAA about like how a broadcaster may or may not be able to do his job on USC's campus because arbitrary, stupid NCAA rules from 10 years ago. Like this whole thing is dumb. It's just really dumb. Yeah. What's going to happen in 2024 when they want to bring back the team, the 2004 team? For a for a twenty years since, by the way, that's in five years. How yeah, years that's that terrifying, be? dude. <laughs> but but say they want to bring the team back for a twenty years since this team won the national title type deal, right? And it's still not resolved. Then, like, how do you have everybody back and not have Reggie there? You you can't. I mean, you'd have to, I guess, but you shouldn't have to. No, it was awkward enough when they did the '67 team and a certain player wasn't there. But but that player not being there was for an obvious reason that that person should not have been there. Reggie is not that situation. And you know, we've we've gotten some comments on on Twitter about. How, you know, like Reggie took money or Reggie, you know, Reggie did did wrong and all that. And I fully acknowledge like, yeah, Reggie screwed USC. There's no question about that. But as I point out with all of this other stuff, like what Reggie did was not unique. It was not unique. And I don't think that it was Reggie's fault the way that the NCAA over punished USC. Like that was on the NCAA. What Reggie did was like you know, shoplifting and USC got a life sentence for it. And it was really like that, that that's where I, I look at the injustice of it, especially knowing what we know now about college sports and the, the business of college sports and, and the way that athletes relate to the schools and money changing hands and all this kinds of stuff. Like I just can't, I, I can't build up animosity for Reggie Bush because Notre Dame and Alabama had players on the on the or in, and Penn State had players apparently allegedly taken cash to like this is not like many 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 players have admitted that they got benefits illegal benefits yeah. so many, like, many people are saying 
Many people, many people are saying. But uh, another another thing that's come out of this whole thing is again the reiteration. One, I think the most interesting thing from this whole thing is that Arash confirmed that USC has tried on three different occasions to to get this sorted out, and the NCAA hasn't been willing to. Which again, petty NCAA, just stop, move on. Um, and number two, like Reggie, straight up would like to come back to USC. And USC would like to bring Reggie back. And there are no hard feelings between the university and Reggie or Reggie and the university, which was something that I was always curious about. Like if they, if they open the door for him to come back and lead the field on, lead, lead the team onto the field, like would he do it? Obviously, yes. Like he, he would obviously do it. So the only thing standing in the way of this is the NCAA being petty. At least that's the only thing I can figure out because there's no reason for the NCAA to not. We have the example of Chris Weber. Chris Weber took $280,000 from a Michigan booster and was disassociated for 10 years. And that was straight on the table 10 years. When 10 years was up, he was welcomed back with open arms and he is now fully associated with the university. He was an honorary team captain for the football team. So like... I'm sorry, what Reggie Bush did and his family did pales in comparison to me to 280000 from a booster, and yet the NCAA won't just put a date on Reggie's disassociation. Won't just say, you know what, it's 10 years or whatever. Like, it's petty. Like, that's the only thing I can come back to is that it's petty, and I, and I can't understand why. Yeah, it needs to end. He needs to come back. There's, it's, it's not hurting anybody if he does. It, it is not making a laughing stock of the, of the NCAA. It's not look, making them look bad uh, and look less powerful. It is making them look stupid by him not being there. Uh, it hurts more people by him not being there than anything else. Um, so, yeah, this needs to get fixed for sure. Uh, but speaking of the former NFL player, Reggie Bush, let's talk about the NFL uh, and the NFL draft. USC has several players looking to get their name heard uh, from teams over the weekend in Nashville. We'll talk about that up next. All right, Alicia, the NFL draft will be in Nashville over the weekend. I am super excited that it's in Nashville. I am glad that the NFL has taken the NHL's lead. Once again, the NHL having good ideas and everyone else stealing them. In making the draft a touring event to go around, you make money that way. Uh, it makes it an event, makes it fun, makes it better than just all the Giants and Jets fans booing every draft pick and all that boring stuff that we used to get. Now we get to see it in Nashville. And of course, this is the year that we thought would be super exciting for USC in the NFL draft. There would be a lot of seniors on USC's team from last year that we thought that would get drafted super high in the draft draft this year doesn't look like that's going to be the case uh we got a tweet from lj who will be drafted this week and when will they be drafted alicia let's go down the list because i don't know where it is that you can feel good about sc situation here and 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 i don't want to be such a debbie danner about it but compared to what we talked about last year it's just a little little different uh, let's start with uh, chuma doga yeah chuma doga has turned into usc's best draft prospect Pretty much on the strength of his Senior Bowl performance, uh, he was one of the the top players at the Senior Bowl, and his his draft his draft stock skyrocketed. And then he did well at the Combine and the Pro Day and everything like that. So, from the best of my of my d- sort of powers of deduction, he, it looks like he's gonna go somewhere in the third, fourth, or fifth round. So, like best case scenario is day two. 
but possibly day three as well. Uh, if d- day two is rounds two and three, uh, for those who don't know. So, yeah, D- D- Chuma is probably going to be the first name off the board. And it might not come until day three, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about this year's draft from a USC perspective. Because like you said, I mean, I, I was just going through some of the Reign of Troy archives to look at the way that we covered the draft last year. And uh, in, in going through that and searching for NFL draft, I came across a a feature that we'd done looking at five potential first round draft picks for USC, talking about them last, last offseason. And I didn't feel crazy talking about these guys being potentially like if they have a good enough senior season, they could work their way into the first round. And obviously that didn't happen for anybody. Not even slightly. So doesn't doesn't show you very much uh, about USC's development at this stage. Yeah, it's not encouraging. Uh, still going down this list. Uh, Port Augustine. Yeah, so Port Augustine, I found mock drafts putting him in a range between third and seventh. I would be stunned, stunned if he goes on day two. So let's just set that third round pick aside because I, I don't trust it. Um, I think he's probably... Because of the injury red flags, we're probably looking at like a fifth, sixth, or seventh. Like, I think best case scenario, I would say, is a fifth round pick if someone really likes him. Yeah, I think there's a chance that he could be an ultimate steal in, in that sense. Um, and really, for a lot of these guys, uh, let's just go down the list. You know, Iman Marshall, Cam Smith, Marvell Tell, the next three guys on, their, on our little list here, all of them kind of later round guys, right? But all of them, I think, could be steals if they end up fulfilling the potential that we think that they could be. It's just a matter of they haven't yet in terms of how they're seen as pro prospects. Yeah, and and you bring up uh, Iman Marshall, Cam Smith, and Marvell Tell. They're all pretty much in the same range as far as me finding mock drafts and other evaluations of them to figure out where they stand, looking at four, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Um, a guy like Iman Marshall could could go as high as the fourth or as low as the seventh because he's a corner who teams might want to play safety and they're not sure about where he fits. Um, a guy like Cam Smith is probably going to go before the seventh, but not before the fourth. Like he's going to be sort of, again, fifth, sixth, I think, because he's a guy with great, um, great experience as a four-year starter for USC, but, but also is a little bit limited in, in what they see him as, as far as his coverage skills are concerned. And also just his overall athleticism. I think um, Marvell tell is the opposite where he's this amazing athlete who absolutely stunned everybody with his performances in, uh, in physical testing in the, in the lead up to the draft, but he doesn't have a lot of great, like he doesn't have a ton of great tape to show teams. And interestingly enough, he's now being talked about as potential conversion to corner. So, like, USC had a dude playing corner that NFL teams see as a safety. They have a dude playing safety that NFL teams see as a corner. And they're all, like, physical, physically, like, you could see where the potential with them lies. But none of them really have enough to show for their USC careers to guarantee them solid draft status, which... I cannot see Marvell tell as a corner. I know, right? Like, that's... I thought he was really damn good last year, and he never got the credit for how good he was last year. I think he he was good in limited... And the thing to also remember about last year is that he was dealing with, like, weird injury stuff for a while there, so 
I don't know how much that limited his his performances, but I don't know. Like, I feel like Marvel Tell, my, uh, I want to say the thing I was always saying about Marvel is I was waiting for him to have a, a full game where I think he had a lot of really good quarters, but not, but not like the full performance where you're like, man, he dominated that whole game. That's fair. But I think you can say that of all these guys. Oh, absolutely. I think you can say that about SC as a whole. I don't necessarily think that that was a problem for Marvel Tell uh, as an individual. It's a problem for everybody. Everybody had that problem. Uh, other guys expecting to sign potentially with NFL teams, probably not going to get drafted. Chris Brown, Tolo Bendon, Sedware, Austin Appleby, Tyler Petit, Malik Dorton, Isaiah Langley, Jonathan Lockett, and Jane Harris. You have them all listed as likely undrafted free agents. Yeah, which, you know, some of those guys, not a surprise. Sedware and Jane Harris kind of profile guys were and Malik Dorton and and those were never going to be really really top level draft picks uh draft uh selection guys um Chris Brown I want to call the next like Chad Wheeler uh in the sense that he will probably go undrafted but if I had to pick any of these guys to make an NFL roster I kind of side with Chris Brown because at times he was USC's best offensive lineman and, and certainly felt like one of the most consistent offensive linemen for USC. But, like, you look at a guy like Toa Lobendon, like, Toa Lobendon should be a guy that we're talking about as being drafted. Like, it's weird to me that Toa Lobendon isn't being talked about as being drafted. Tyler Petit should be a guy that we're talking about as being an, a pro prospect. And I have been scouring the, the the internet for mock drafts and, and other evaluations and I have heard nothing nothing about those two guys as draft prospects so like again this sort of just goes to show that where USC's development in part came from like where maybe the maybe these maybe we're looking at just a bunch of players who were seniors who how committed to the next step of being a football player, were they? Like, I don't know. But it certainly hasn't come together as far as producing draftable players when it comes to, to a lot of those guys, these guys. Like, you look at, like, Austin Appleby, like, his performance at, at USC's Pro Day, dude is trying as hard as he can to get a chance in the NFL. Like, you can tell that. But I don't know about some of the other guys. Wait, you're saying that they're not trying? Well, I don't know if they're not trying or maybe they're just not... Like, I always think back to, like... they're trying. No, I always think back to, like, Michael Hutchings. Like, Michael Hutchings decided... Like, going pro in something other than sports. Yeah, like, Michael Hutchings decided that he was going to not go on and continue to be a football player. And that was sort of where his mindset was. So, like, I wonder how many of these guys we're even going to hear about as signing as undrafted free agents, too. Yeah, that's fair. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, Yeah, no. I I, I got you. I got you. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting draft um, because SC could have guys who end up being, you know, heralded as late round picks that work out. Or this could be a situation where you never hear about any of these guys in five years um, outside of their time at SC. So, yeah, it's it's a bummer because there's so much potential from that 2015 recruiting class that SC had. And you want it to still pay out for Sark's class because that class was really damn good. And I'm I'm still beholden to the idea that it was really damn good. Well, I, it's, I mean, I think they, they won a Rose Bowl and a Pac-12 title. That's the that's my thing is that like there's an interesting uh, study in contrast between the 2015 class and the 2016 class, 
in the sense that like the 2015 class disappointed in the sense that like the ceiling of that class didn't get as high as as maybe we'd hoped it would be but you can't also you can look at that class and you find like that class is full of long-term starters for USC guys who played a lot of football for USC and and it's not that they like there weren't busts in that class really um I mean there were busts there's busts in every class but like these are guys who contributed to USC one way or another, and they just didn't reach the heights that you want. Where like where you look at the 2016 class, and like there just there just aren't very many players from that class who were long term starters contributors. Like when we talk about the heights that they didn't reach, isn't that unfair? That the stuff that we put on, like, is there anything more that Cam Smith needed to do? I like outside of being named an All American, I don't think so. Outside of putting together a healthy season, I don't know what poor Augustine could have done as a football player. Like, he was really damn good um, his last two seasons for those three games that he was healthy those last, you know, little bit. I mean, he was a sack machine as a senior. I don't want to hold circumstances against them. Like, I don't don't want to hold anything against them because, like I said, like, these players gave a lot to USC and and it just didn't work out in the end is kind of what I'm getting at. Where for for one circumstantial reason or another, if you're Port Augustine, it's because your body broke down. If you're Cam Smith, it's because, you know, uh, in part your body broke down and in part just things fell apart. Like in your senior season, like it was a very disappointing senior season for all of these guys. Um not that it was necessarily their fault, but like the circumstance. I mean, of... Biggie Marshall put together a really damn good season. Yeah, season. exactly. Like if you just Mar- didn't get the appreciation. What what I'm saying is that was the number one class. There's a million reasons why to think that that class was one of SC's all time best. I just don't think they get the fanfare. And I know this is stupid, but I always want these guys to pan out in the NFL to prove my college opinions right. Because I hate when people do the inverse. I hate it when people say that. Oh, Oh, Matt Leinart sucks because he didn't do anything in the NFL. Like, that is so stupid to me. I hate it so much. Like, it shouldn't... Him as a USC quarterback is completely different than him playing for the Raiders. Not even the same thing. Like, Tim Tebow was an incredible college football quarterback. You can complain about his NFL quarterback in a different conversation. They're different things. So, are you... Like, I kind of get what you're saying in the sense that, like, you want... Because I'm in the same boat. I, I want Port Augustine to have a really successful NFL career. And if he does, people will overvalue his college career. And to me, I think that's almost better in the sense of I'd want that than than these pro careers to, to not go as as you would hope. Well, and then no one wants to savor their college career. So, but And let, maybe I'm looking at this from the most pessimistic view ever. Let's say that Chuma Adoga, Port Augustine, Iman Marshall, Cam Smith, Marbell Tell, that core five. Let's yeah. say they go, they all go on to have long careers in the NFL as, you know, starters in the NFL. Maybe not pro bowlers. Maybe they are, maybe some of them are pro bowls, but these are guys who put together lengthy NFL careers. Successful. We're talking Everson Griffin, Jarrell Casey. Yeah, sure. I mean, if they got Jarrell Casey level, then that would be great because Jarrell Casey's a pro bowler. But like, yeah, where, where there's solid. So is Everson Griffin. Yeah. Solid players at their, at their position, pros, like, Vet- veteran pros, right? What does that say about what happened in 2018? Is that is that the ammunition against Clay Helton, or is it the ammunition against like the circumstances? Like, because part of me part of me thinks about like how I look back at some UCLA teams and I accuse them of 
not getting what they should have out of the talent that they had available when you look back at, Mm -hmm. like, the talent they had available. So, like, would that be the ultimate indictment of Clay Helton? Yeah. uh, For the 2018 team, I still have to go back to he won a Rose Bowl and he won a Pac-12 title because he had talent. The, The idea, and I hear it all the time, we've mentioned it before, oh, this team is destined to fail because... Clay Helton sucks or whatever whatever people say that oh he only won because he had talented players like he's always going to have talented players you know what that means it means he can win at any time like whether or not you think that he's the great coach or not like that argument like kind of backfires on you so you we can sit here and say that the 2018 team you know yeah did not f- live up to their expectations especially these guys all pan out as really solid pros but they also won a Pac-12 title they also won a, a, a Rose Bowl they would have gone to a second Rose Bowl if it wasn't for the playoff because the, the playoff was the only reason that game was in Arlington and not Pasadena against Ohio State so like th- this team would have had accolades or they did have accolades they're just ones that people don't want to acknowledge because of Clay Helton yeah but no but they also have five and seven on their record right uh, they're both of those things have to be factored in yes that's what i'm saying both of those things have to be factored in yeah not just one and i feel like too many people are, are just looking at the one like the five and seven tells more of a story than anything else and to me that's kind of asinine like they both tell a story yeah both things tell a story so yeah let's get to the mailbag up next you've got mail all right, let's go through some questions from Dave in Orange County. First one, I'm starting to feel confident about our starters, but petrified about our backups. Talk to me about two non-starters on each side of the ball that will be ready if and when called upon. This is such a difficult question. Um, Okay, on the defense... I think it's pretty easy from my outside perspective here. I... Uh... Yeah. Devin Williams on offense. Okay, hang on. Simply dimply. Hang on, hang on. Let's start on defense. Let's start on defense because the answers are really, really easy on defense. The answer on defense is Brandon Peely, who is not a starter, but will be a very good contributor for USC behind Marlon Tupelo, okay. too. And yep. I think, um, like, for right now, it, it's either Jake Lichtenstein behind Jay Tufele, or if Drake Jackson isn't the starter opposite. Christian Rector, then Drake Jackson. Like, the, okay. the defensive front looks pretty solid as far as the depth is concerned on, on this team. On the offensive side of the ball, Devin I Williams. think Devin Williams is a starter. If I am using the depth chart that Graham Harrell put out at North Texas, then they have four wide receiver starters and Devin Williams is one of them. All right, that's fair. So that complicates the picture. Um, if I assume, as reps would tell me they do in spring camp, that Eric Cromenhoek will be the named starter at tight end on the depth chart that USC officially puts out, then I can spin Josh Follow as a non-starter. Okay. Uh, and then one of Stephen Carr, Vi Malapai, or Marquis Step, like basically any running back who isn't ultimately the starter. Is going to be a really good backup. Okay. Outside of that, though, like I'm, I'm stretching here. Justin Tietich. I wish he had a better spring. Clayton Johnston. He, 
I haven't seen him practice in six months. So yeah. Clayton Bradley, BT Dubs. Yeah, I he I forgot about that. Yeah. Clayton Bradley. Yeah. My bad. Dave's next question. Switching the four three sounds like Clancy having more faith in our D line to get pressure on the quarterback than our linebackers. Is this the right fix? Since when we we're Sands, that average linebacker Porter last year, there goes Dave. Uh, our defense struggled to get sacks. Um, I think that um, based on the way that things were talked about this spring, I think that it wasn't necessarily an issue of Clancy's faith in anyone or not. I think Clay Helton and Clancy, Clay either told Clancy or they came together and said, we got to get bigger up front to deal with the run game and to challenge um, to challenge players with, with size in, in the pass game. Um, so... Like, I, I don't know. Part of me thinks that when Porter was in there, they had at Predator an ideal player there. And when Christian Rector ended up being the best option behind Porter Gustin, he was sort of shoehorned into a position that wasn't ideal for him as far as the Predator's job. So maybe it's more about they found the best front to get the most out of Christian Rector. By going to more of a four three, but but it, it, I don't know. It's it, it's gonna. Part of me needs to see how exactly they deploy this because it's sort of four three ish, but it's not actually four three. Like they're still gonna be using multiple fronts. I'm just I don't know how it's all going to balance out as far as how often we're going to see which of those fronts though yeah and the one thing i will say is that going back to 2017 sc had 46 sacks which was tops in the country tied with clemson for the most sacks in the country i don't know that that means that they can't get back there like that was still the three-man front that they used more than anything else in 2017 mind you the, the people that they were having with get all those sacks was rasheem green and lieutenant who combined for 19 and a half yeah and if you think about it like Maybe, I mean, part of the problem was the defensive line last year, the interior guys were first year starters and still pretty young and still developing. And they didn't get as USC didn't get what they needed out of those guys as far as putting pressure on quarterbacks as well. So the 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 balance across the whole line was messed up this year. Maybe Jay Tufele becomes your regime green stand in and the better he does, the more teams have to worry about him, the more it's going to open up opportunities for guys next to him. Like, if Marlon Tupelotu can get to more of the, like, Stevie Tuukolavatu level of providing a little bit of a pass rush and and a little bit of a penetration from the interior, and then you combine that with Christian Rector on the outside in a position that's probably a little bit more suited to his body type as a more traditional defensive end, and then instead of having Jordan Iacefa on the line trying to fill the shoes of which he was just never going to do. Now you've got a bigger body like a Drake Jackson or a Connor Murphy um, trying to to, to match up, kind of make up for what USC lost when it comes to, to Chenoweth, which again is really difficult, but maybe maybe the, 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 the power rush that USC can bring in there with somebody like Drake Jackson uh, will be the thing that makes the difference. And just balancing things out across the line could be all that USC needs because basically it was it was Porter or bust for USC and and Rector or bust after that and Rector was sort of busting in and out himself as far as when he was actually getting to the quarterback but 
if he's not the primary focus all the time, if J2 Fele is, is demanding, um, more attention from, from blockers, if, if Tupelotu and then another pass rusher on the edge, whoever that turns out to be, you can open up more opportunities for everybody else if everybody's sort of working in tandem as, as opposed to just sort of getting pushed around. And that's what, and that's what was, what, one of the things that was weird about the 2018 defense, which is, if you want to have like a touch of hope, is that the 2018 defense was an anomaly in the history of Clancy Pendergast defenses. The two things that Clancy Pendergast defenses were sort of, well, certainly the big one that it was predicated on was being super aggressive and getting to the quarterback, and they just didn't. And that is unusual for a Clancy Pendergast defense, like, like you, like you pointed out. The year before, they led the nation in sacks. Um, the other thing was they just could not buy a turnover. And so, and Clancy was saying all year, like, you know, sometimes turnovers just come in bunches and they just haven't come. And so if USC sort of gets back away from that anomaly of what 2018 was and things even out in those two areas, then you're going to see a great improvement. And it might not necessarily be because USC changed anything. It might just be because the pendulum swung and they had better luck. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. Uh, let's move on to a tweet from El Chicano. Uh, he sent us two questions. First one, who ends up as our best cornerback this season? It's a tough one. SC has to replace uh, Emo Marshall. Uh, they had to replace uh, third-team All-American Jack Jones last year and couldn't really do it. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, my first thought was Isaac Taylor Stewart because I've seen him now. Uh, I think I think the answer before spring camp would have been Elijah Griffin, but he still has a lot to prove. It's going to be one of those two. There, there really aren't. There's really no one else to guess. Like, I I, I don't think that uh, Greg Johnson is going to be up there as the best corner. I think he, if when you're looking at Greg Johnson, you just want him to be serviceable because he wasn't at times last year. And yeah, ITS or OG, one of those two. Um, And just because I've seen him all spring, I'll, I'll go ITS. All right. El Chicano, second question. I'm not convinced that our offensive line will be much better, but more of the same. Is that how you guys feel? I don't think I am ready to say that the offensive line will be better until I see it. There is no nowhere on this team that needs to prove it to me more than anything than the offensive line. That's fair. Two two things on that. One, Tim Drevno's track record is pretty decent, and so I'm going to bank on slight improvement. I can't tell you how much improvement, but I think there will be slight improvement. At the very least, because Tim Drevno's track record is pretty positive. Number two, the really nice thing, they don't need to be that much better for the offense to be that much better. Because the scheme is going to negate a, a lot of the problems that the offensive line had last year, and that and that will help. Um, but I, I don't think it's, like, I think it's a fair analysis to look at the offensive line and say... That they might not be like, I think Brett Nealon will be a better center than Toa turned out to be in the hole of last year. So there's an upgrade. I think Elijah Vera Tucker is a really exciting player uh, on, on the offensive line, and I, I'm really happy for him. But he's replacing Chris Brown, who was probably USC's best offensive lineman last year. So you're kind of at level there. Andrew Voorhees is Andrew Voorhees. Austin Jackson, you hope, takes another step forward being older, but he's he's still the same player. And then Jalen McKenzie, um, probably a step down from Truma Adoga ceiling-wise, but maybe he can be a little bit more 
steady, consistent, maybe. And once you go across those five, you're basically at or about the same level as everyone else. But I think as a unit, because they have better coaching and a better scheme, I expect them to perform better as a unit overall. Like individually, they're not going to be that much better. But working together, which is really the key for an offensive line, I think you should expect a step forward. Yeah, they got to prove it. But I am excited to see what the scheme means and whether or not they get that bump that Darnold kind of gave the offensive line in 2016 when he just provided some mobility back there. I I think the offensive line in 2016 was legitimately good, but the numbers were also vastly improved by Darnold being able to avoid sacks, which he did so well in 2016. Uh, Let's go to a tweet from Anthony in LA who says, what's the positives and negatives on both Sears and Daniels? All right, Alyssa, give me one pro and one con about each guy. Sears is a playmaker. But he's inconsistent. Yep. Daniels is has great arm talent, but... Does Daniels have great arm talent? He does. He does. But he is... Um, how do I phrase this? Uh, he is rattled. And so, like, I think Daniels... Daniels is might be the perfect example of that thing you always worry about when you have a really, really talented quarterback coming out of high school where he never had to worry about a pass rush in his life, where he needs a perfect pocket. Like, this was Matt Leinart's problem. You, you put Matt Leinart behind USC's offensive line in college, and he'd tear you apart because he was kept comfortable. Went to the NFL, got uncomfortable, and couldn't, and couldn't hack it because of that. Um... I worry that that might be Daniels, and I don't think that USC has the offensive line to provide him what he needs. Yeah, I I, I could see that. Um, I I think that's fair. I, the arm talent thing, it, it depends of what you call arm talent. If we're talking about having someone who can throw the deep ball perfectly, give me Sears. If we're talking about someone who can make the NFL throws in terms of what the NFL wants, the black back shoulder pass and all that kind of stuff, Give me Daniels. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got that. Um, I just, I think that Daniels, com- certainly compared to Sears, Daniels generally throws a more catchable ball. Okay, I, I, I'll give you that. Wh- which is usually a good thing. You yeah. want the balls to be catchable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more or less. Which means that you can get pass interference penalties, which yeah. is the you know the the uh, the pi offense. Oh yeah, uh, as Gerard from USFootball.com would call it. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's a that's a good scheme too, by the way. Uh, it beat Washington State. Uh, moving on, let's go to a question from Jack Hellier. Who is the best player at each position right now? Um, we're gonna put this as a position group to make it more interesting, so we don't just run down a, a depth chart, which we do have on Redditor.com. You can look through and see Elise's projections for the depth chart. Um. Well, let's skip quarterback because we've we've talked about it ad nauseum that they're kind of all at the same level right now, anyways. So running back, who's the mm, you're going to say Vi though? Yes, yes, I am. And you're you're incredibly incredibly biased in saying Vi. Oh, I Vi is my guy. I state my balance my, my my bias outright, but also he's the best running back on the team. Okay, all right. Uh, wide receiver. Who's who's the best right now? Michael Pittman. Amon Ross St. Brown is close behind, but Michael Pittman had a hell of a spring. I think they're both very good 
With, without saying spring, I think they're both very good in different things. Yes. That it's hard to compare them. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so I think they can both be A-plus guys in different facets, which is great because you can have them in the same receiving core and use them differently. Uh, linebacker, who's the best linebacker? E.A. Naoteote. Not Ruben Peters? Not Ruben Peters, no. No. <laughs> uh, who's the best defensive back? Oh, that's uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart. Uh, the, the answer is actually probably Talano Hafanga, but he was right. injured in spring. So, like, I, I, I'm just going to go off of the little things that you see out there, and it's, it's probably Talano Hafanga. All right. And the best uh, special teamer? Ben freaking Griffiths. All right. I, I, I still am holding out hope that it's somebody else. <laughs> Dom Davis down the sideline. Just one time. Let him take a punt back or a kickoff return back. That's all I want. Just one. Yeah, we'll see. Or 12, and then we can start talking about this Heisman campaign again. <laughs> uh, let's get a tweet from, from Fred. Uh, podcast question. Who has more? A total number of USC guys drafted this year or Clemson and Alabama guys. Oh my lord! Having guys in the taken in the first round, uh, it's going to be Clemson and Alabama. Clemson might have like three picks in the first ten picks, so it's going to be Clemson and Alabama combined. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Clemson and uh, Clemson and Bama combined. I believe so. Yes, yes. Yeah, we got an over and under from David Orange County. He said four and a half on drafted USC players. I'll, I'll take the over on it. But it's gonna be hit or miss. Like it's it's gonna be a little bit nervy once you get to the seventh round. And I think I think there will be somebody who's not off the board yet that I'm looking at going like oof, like between Gustin and Tell. Like I think I'm pretty sure they'll get drafted. But like if it starts getting late, I'm gonna wonder. I'm gonna I'm inclined to take the over, but I'm gonna take the over because there'll be somebody that you'll be sitting there thinking, how did they not get drafted? Or at least yeah. one or two of those guys. So give me the under. Uh, but yeah, definitely take Clemson or Bama in the first round over USC in the whole draft. Uh, Fred also says most mock drafts have approximately four to six combined for Clemson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Fred's next question, more fun to do, not me in the actual TV series, but the podcast, Rod on Got or Westwood on Westworld? This is so easy. It's Rod on God. It's Rod on God. It's an easier show to talk about. It's an easier show to talk about. And unfortunately, our first season of Westward on Westwood on Westworld was a uh, tricky season of Westworld. Like, it would have been more fun to do the first season of Westworld yes, to talk I, about it than the second Dare season. I say, I don't think I want to do another season of it. Yeah. Rod on God is I, always I, fun, though. Even when I feel Rod- bad because I want to I want to do the return leg uh, with our friends over the Red Spurn show, but at the same time I'm I'm I think I'm out on on Westworld. Oh I lord, like it might it might be Jake and I flying solo over there then because I'm still Maybe. in, but mm. you'll have FOMO yeah. and you'll join us. Um, probably. <laughs> uh, David Orange County says, "What happens sooner, another fan cast or a Rodbot meetup?" Oh lord, I don't know. We we got to figure out a, a Rodbot meetup. At some I want to do a Rodbot. I was trying. I was thinking to myself, like, I want to do a Rodbot meetup like over the summer. But then I think, like, does anyone want to do a Rodbot meetup over the summer? I don't know. Because we'll definitely do, do one before the season. But like, but 
the the thing about robot meetups well the thing with both of these things is it's always the logistics like i, I want to do another fan cast but like right the logistics of a fan cast get a little tricky the logistics of recording one uh the way we record makes it awfully difficult which is the reason that we haven't been doing them on patreon yeah uh, is because it, it, we we can't really record it with both of us we can record it with one of us but not both yeah yeah, and then um, it's just some technical and then, stuff. And then meetups are logistically challenging because Los Angeles is too dang big and everywhere is super yep. inconvenient to meet up. So Right. Yeah. Maybe but we should just games, do like a house party or something like that. Like everyone just come over to my house and we'll just chill. Do you want to invite people on the <laughs> internet to your house? I know, right? Creepy. The so people get murdered. No, no, no. The great but thing seriously, is, we love you the, guys. The, the great thing is that my mother is now part of this like Facebook community, and like she had to get together at, at 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 her house, and like she's telling me like like my mother is getting into this internet community, and like this has been my life since I was like twelve, and like my mom never understood how I could make friends, like actual real friends, with people on the internet, and now my mother is hosting like get-togethers with these people that she met on the internet, and it's like. Yes, that's how it works, mother. This is exactly how it works. So, like, you know. Yeah, my dad meets all these people in these running groups, but I, I think I think that's a little weird. Runners are are weird in general. <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't. I don't think I've, I've I've revealed this to you yet, but I on Easter Sunday I agreed to run a half marathon this October. Oh God! Yeah, you too. Yeah. Why? Because I'm being FOMO'd into it. Everyone else is running it. I'm, I'm a one, follower, Michael. One of those people. Yep. Yep. God. Yep. I resisted for a long when, time. When you post about it on Facebook, make sure that I it I I'm like auto hidden from that stuff. <laughs> Do me a favor. Uh, I'll try. Uh, let's let's get into some other questions from Dave from Orange County, which are this or that. All right, Alicia, let's do this or that. We haven't done this in forever. First one, classic Disney animation or Pixar? Pixar. And I love classic Disney animation, but Pixar movies have been amazing. So here's my confession. I don't know what the hell is Pixar and what is... What's the other one? DreamWorks? Oh, it's this is another one. Right? Yeah, no, DreamWorks. Like, okay, for instance, like Shrek is DreamWorks. Yeah, like I, I can't. Pixar, I don't know who the hell's making these damn. I'm movies. pretty sure, like Toy Story and Finding Nemo are Pixar. But, but they're they're Pixar. But then Disney bought Pixar. Yeah. So does it count as a Disney movie? Well, that's why when you say like they they kind of do. Some of them do now count as Disney movies, but like when you say classic Disney animation, like I think like, like basically like the nineties and earlier, like pre Toy like Toy Story was the was the cutoff between like the classic animation. Wait, are we talking about the actual animation itself? Yes, like so, like well then, it, Lion well, then King, give me the Pixar stuff, Lion King, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, so the so the the analog cartoons to the digital. Yes, cartoons. yeah, exactly. Well then, give me the digital stuff. Yeah, I like all of all of the above, but Pixar probably has more of my favorite movies. I'll give you a take though. This Lion King garbage makes me irate. What the? Who the hell needed this? Who the hell needed a, a live action 
Lion King. Why was this needed? It's not live action, though. That's the thing. Like, that's why I'm I'm on board with the like who needed this because like I get the live action what like was Aladdin. What's wrong with the original one? There's nothing wrong with the original one. I I get the live action Aladdin because you're gonna actually have live actors doing it. But like the live action like Lion King, like they're all CGI. So right, it's not I just actually don't... live action. Like yeah. It's why go back and watch the old one if you're if you're wanting to see it. Yeah. Or go watch the play. Like you don't need this new thing. Like create something new. I cannot stand just these rehashes. Yep. I'm with you. It's insane to me. It's just lazy. Um but yeah, give me the the Pixar stuff like I'm always down for a Toy Story. Who's your favorite Toy Story character? Oh. Um Oh. Huh. Who is... There's, there's only a couple answers I will accept, by the way. I like Rex. Yes, Rex is on that list of, of answers I will accept. I mean, I like Woody. Woody, Woody, Woody is Buzz. borderline of what I accept. The, the reason I don't like... I, I like Woody a lot. I love me some Tom Hanks. Yeah. Woody is one of the few main characters that I think is acceptable to have as a favorite character. Just because I think it's lame to have your favorite character be, like, the person, I agree. right? Yeah. Like, if Harry Potter's your favorite Harry Potter character, then that's freaking lame. you're doing lame. it wrong. Exactly, yes. It's lame, yes. right? So... But Woody, I'll give you Woody. I'll give you Woody. Buzz is a bad favorite. Yeah. I, Buzz sucks. Uh, well, I, and I almost say Woody because I prefer Woody to Buzz. Yes. So, yeah. But the side characters are what make that move. Like, they're what make it. Right. And to me, the the, the, the ultimate true answer is Mr. Potato Head. That was going to be my next one is Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Mr. Potato Head. Uh, next, this or that from... Dave is Arya and Gendry. It's obviously Arya. Come on. Yeah. So it's this. We, we don't know about, enough about Hold Gendry on, this as a person. Arya versus Gendry. Yeah. Of course it's Arya. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, next one is Stanley Cup playoffs or NBA playoffs. Another like, who's not picking the Stanley Cup playoffs I, here? I'm Come not on. watching either of them really. But like, if I had to watch a watch one, I'd watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, Dave's next one, John on the Iron Throne or Danny on the Iron Throne? Danny on the Iron Throne. I think John right now, just because I think that that would mean more interesting things happened with Danny. Did she die or did she have to get over it? I think it would make it more interesting. I I agree it would be interesting, but I don't think John wants to be on the Iron Throne. And I think like... I think Danny is more suited to the power dynamic of it because she actually wants it. All right. Uh, last one. Audiobook or actual book? Audiobook. So I cannot read. Like, I just, like, I can literally read, obviously. What, what are books? Uh, I just, I just don't, I, I can't do books. Like, it just doesn't, it does nothing for me. At the same point, audiobooks are torturous to me, which I don't, it doesn't make any sense because I like podcasts. And I like, I love Serial and I love um, S-Town, which, you know, had narrators. But I don't think I could listen to just one person read a book. Don't think I could do it. Hmm. I have trouble with one person podcasts. Hmm. It's, a, it's a real big struggle for no, me. I, I love audiobooks. Um, but I, it used to be a struggle for me. My mind used to, like, wander and I'd lose my place in them. But I've gotten much yeah, better. Yeah, that's what I think I would do. Yeah, I've gotten much better at training my 
brain to follow along with an audiobook. But also I've I've understood like I can listen to a podcast while I do stuff around the house. I can't listen to an audiobook while I do stuff around the house. I exclusively listen to audiobooks while I drive. See, that's interesting because I I like listening to podcasts while I drive. If I well, I like listening to podcasts while I work, but it depends on what the work is. If I'm typing, it has to be music. Yeah. But it has to be music that's not loud. Here's my other question. Does your memory work with your vision? Um, what what do you mean? Let's say you're listening to an audiobook or a podcast or whatever on your way to work. Yes. I i.e. on your way to campus, oh, right? Oh, absolutely. There's a there's a spot on Glen you know when where where the two becomes Glendale Boulevard. I sure, yeah. every time I'm there I think about the episode of the moth that I listened to when I was stuck in traffic right there. Like I I associate every inch of my drive with a random episode of something or some such that I've listened to. Yeah, there was this thing where um I when I listen to S Town, I listen to S Town in one whole drive from Phoenix to LA. To where now, if I go back and listen to S Town, I can tell you exactly where I was on that drive. <laughs> yeah, and it also helps me. It allows me to know which episode it is too, because I'm like, oh, well, I was like there, which means it'd probably be like episode three. Yeah, it's crazy the way that works. It, it is super wild. Like I listened to Serial when you know our, our friend of the pod Trinice me and her were driving through Louisiana uh, working on her master's thesis and so there's certain stretches of that road that through Louisiana and, and Mississippi where if I hear um, Sarah Koenig talk about Adnan I think about that road <laughs> it's very weird yeah but that's gonna wrap up the episode as always you can follow us on Twitter at Rain of Troy like us on Facebook facebook.com slash Rain of Troy our email address is Rain of Troy at fanside.com shoot us an email if you want to advertise with us if you have a question for the podcast or anything our email address is fanside.com. phone number 213-373-1872 bonus episodes are over on Patreon lots of stuff coming over there uh, as well as Rod on God uh, the latest Rod on God episode is already live you can listen to it if you are a patron if not it will become unlocked on Friday Friday, Friday, Friday morning. So head over to patreon.com slash Troy to hear us talking about Game of Thrones. Until then, at least you got a final word. The final word is memory. All right. This episode will only be a memory from here on out. Mm-hmm. See ya. See ya. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.